Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Wednesday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I am your host, Literally Heather. Okay, guys, I am so happy to be back with you for today's episode. A couple things to note. Uh, My daughter was just accepted as a member of the Louisville Youth Orchestra, which has added another layer to my schedule, and I am moving into my busy season at my real-life job. I will always do my best to get a show out to you guys, and if I don't, it's either because I've pushed myself to the point where I'm falling asleep at my desk, or my schedule just doesn't permit it. Until Spotify recognizes me as the next Walter Cronkite mixed with Johnny Carson and pays me to do this full-time, I am beholden to my real-life job, and I hope that you guys understand. Um, Okay, now that my excuses are out of the way, I obviously have to tell you about my Palmetto State Armory deal of the day. Interestingly, I've never had a cup of coffee before. However, since this is a morning show, I think it's important that today I highlight the fact that Palmetto State Armory does, in fact, have their own coffee. Caliber Coffee is specialty-grade coffee, 100% Arabica custom blend, exotic farm location, small batch, artisan roasted, handcrafted and reasonably, responsibly, not reasonably, responsibly sourced. Uh, They have a variety of flavors named things like 22 cal light roast and 9 millimeter medium roast, 44 mag espresso roast, 300 blackout extra dark roast. Um, Each flavor comes with a unique story about where it comes from and how it's made. Uh, The link to this particular line is in the show description. And if you do happen to purchase, please let me know how it tastes. Um, Someday I'll tell you guys the story. Uh, Many of you know the story of why I've never had a cup of coffee. But but yeah, if you do purchase, please, please, please uh, tag me. Do a a, a video. Let me know uh, what your thoughts are on it. I'm curious if it's good. Okay. So I think it's important to note that according to Firearm Policy Coalition's post yesterday, the federal government argued in a criminal case that England's history of disarming Catholics provides historical support for disarming felons here in the United States. I'm not even joking. Um, yeah, it's that England, the country whose ass we kicked with guns. I don't have an article, but I do have the court listener recap in the show description. A couple excerpts that Firearms Policy Coalition posted um, where it says, quote, the law abiding limitation derives not from the meaning of the people, but instead from the phrase shall not be infringed, which modified the right that was at issue. U.S. Constitutional Amendment 2, 
A directive that a right shall not be infringed signals that the right at issue already exists. Heller 554, U.S. at 592, explaining that this phrase implicitly recognizes the pre-existence of the right to discern the contours of the Second Amendment, it is appropriate to turn to its predecessor in the English Declaration of Rights. Nope. No, we do not need to turn to the predecessor for anything other than to rub salt in the wound of their loss at the Revolutionary War. Uh, The protection in the English Declaration of Rights did not protect everyone, which, you know, is why we wrote a fucking constitution that says, the people. It protected everyone's rights, even the felon who has paid his debt to society. By its terms, the English provision was an individual right not available to the whole populations, given that it was restricted to Protestants. And like all written English rights, it was held only against the crown, not the parliament. Just reading these words makes me laugh, and I wish I could have been there to listen to a U.S. federal attorney that had to make an argument for why someone who was convicted of a felony, served their time, and is now a law-abiding citizen doesn't have the same right to defend their life and property using British rule as precedent. (laughs) Using foreign law in an American courtroom to justify depriving an American citizen of their rights What even is this country anymore? In other firearms news, David Hogg's dick got so hard he was hospitalized when he found out that the Biden administration has announced the first ever Federal Office of Gun Violence Prevention. I'm just kidding about that first part. Um, This should go well with the FBI Stasi established to go after people who dislike their mishandling of Biden's son's charges. Stephanie Feldman, a longtime Biden aide who previously worked on the Domestic Policy Council, will play a leading role, the people said. What? No Gabby or Shan Shan? Greg Jackson, executive director of the Community Justice Action Fund. Rob Wilcox, the senior director for federal government affairs at Every Town for Gun Safety, are expected to hold key roles in the office alongside Feldman, who has worked on gun policy for more than a decade and still oversees the policy portfolio at the White House. Since Biden's election, gun groups have called on him to take this action, which activists see as a concrete step beyond his unanswered pleas for an assault weapons ban and universal background checks. Activists have argued that such an office will help the administration coordinate on gun policy issues across the federal government, while also allowing the president and vice president, Kamala Harris, to show leadership on the issue. Sometimes when I read this stuff, it's like, you're just throwing a bunch of words together. Like, did AI write this article? (laughs) 
Since taking office, the president has taken a slew of executive actions. Yeah, we we see him ruling with his pen. And his administration has invested in community violence intervention. Following back-to-back shootings in Buffalo and Uvalde in 2022, the White House worked with a bipartisan coalition in Congress to pass the first gun legislation into law in nearly three decades. That deal, signed by Biden in June of 2022, toughened background checks for young gun buyers, helped states implement red flag laws, and kept firearms from more domestic violence offenders. The following month, the Senate confirmed the first director of the ATF since 2013. That's because it's an unconstitutional abomination of a governmental agency, and they should not only not have a director, they shouldn't exist. Gun safety groups have pressed Biden to focus on the implementation of the Hallmark gun legislation and have argued that such an office will help with coordination across federal agencies. A White House Office of Gun Violence Prevention would build on the already tremendous record of President Biden and Vice President Harris on gun safety, said Peter Ambler, executive director of, drumroll please, Giffords. This has been a top priority of ours for years, and it would provide an important center of gravity for leadership across the administration as the president and vice president implement the historic Bipartisan Safer Communities Act and continue to push Congress to pass legislation to save lives. The hiring of Greg and Rob would show how seriously the administration takes its responsibility to address this crisis. The timing of Biden's announcement comes as his presidential reelection campaign ramps up. The new office will present an opportunity for the president to point to his action on gun safety at a time when Congress is unlikely to pass additional legislation, potentially increasing enthusiasm among key voting blocks, including young people. Forgive me for not thinking, oh, this is just another silly committee, Heather. When the governor governor of New Mexico used a public health emergency to remove entire swaths of law-abiding citizens' rights while the U.S. government lost their fucking mind and started using English law to argue against the Constitution of the United States. Like, where we're at at this point is ridiculous. The Supreme Court pretty much hates us too, by the way. They have now temporarily blocked a lower court order curbing Biden administration efforts to combat controversial, I love how they word this, essentially to interfere with the free speech of citizens in this country. But the way that the article words it is to combat controversial social media posts on topics like COVID-19 and election security. Imagine my shock that right before an election season, the Biden administration magically gets their permission slip to silence opposing views on social media platforms. White House communications staffers, the Surgeon General, and the FBI are among those affected by the order, which resulted 
from a lawsuit claiming that the White House and executive branch agencies unconstitutionally squelched conservative points of view. The administration asked the Supreme Court to put the order on hold while they prepare an appeal. The lower court was to take effect Monday. Thursday's Supreme Court order, however, delays the effective date until September 22nd. Plaintiffs in the lawsuit have until Wednesday to file a response. A federal judge in North Louisiana previously issued a sweeping order on July 4th that effectively blocked multiple government agencies from contacting platforms such as Facebook and X to urge that content be removed. A panel of three, I don't know why that's controversial. Like the government should not be reaching out to social media companies to silence citizens, period. Like it's it's just, I don't know where in what world anyone thinks that this is okay. (laughs) Why would you even issue the stay to allow them to continue? But whatever. A panel of three judges on the New Orleans-based Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals last week significantly whittled down that order, eliminating some defendants and cutting away language that prohibited mere encouragement of content changes. Encouragement, you guys. But the panel also said the administration had likely brought unconstitutional pressure on media platforms and it said officials cannot attempt to coerce or significantly encourage changes in online contact. Please, please tell me where the distinct line is between mere encouragement of content changes versus coerced changes in online content messages. It's so fucking stupid. The softened order still went too far, the administration said Thursday. The Fifth Circuit ruling came despite the absence of even a single instance in which an official paired a request to remove content with a threat of adverse action. And despite the fact that the platforms declined the official's request routinely and without consequence, The states of Missouri and Louisiana filed the lawsuit along with a conservative website owner and four people opposed to the administration's COVID-19 policy. They accused the administration officials of coercing platforms to take content down under the threat of possible antitrust actions or changes to federal law shielding them from lawsuits over their users' posts. COVID-19 vaccines the FBI's handling of a laptop that belonged to Hunter Biden, and election fraud allegations were among the topics spotlighted in the lawsuit. Of course, the government cannot punish people for expressing different views, the brief said. Of course not. Nor can it threaten to punish the media or other intermediaries for disseminating disfavored speech. But there's a fundamental distinction between persuasion and coercion. Yes, yes, let's reestablish the ability for them to do just that. So stupid. Yesterday, the Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, Mayorkas, I apologize, announced the creation of the Homeland Intelligence Experts Group, which contains 17 members. 
Good, more sassy groups. This group will provide advice and perspectives on intelligence and national security efforts to the Office of Intelligence and Analysis and the Office of Counterterrorism Coordinator to support DHS's vital work to protect our country. Included in this group of private sector experts are three former officials who signed on to the October 2020 letter calling the Hunter Biden laptop the hallmark of Russian disinformation. CNN national security analyst and former director of national intelligence, James Clapper, senior fellow and of the intelligence project, former CIA operations officer, Paul Colby, 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 and Fordham University School of Law Distinguished Fellow and former CIA Director John Brennan were all named to the Experts Group. The Experts Group will provide DHS with a wide range of views and perspectives with a membership that includes former senior intelligence officials, journalists, and prominent human rights and civil liberties advocates, the press release states. That's interesting, isn't it? Prominent human rights and civil liberties advocates are joining the intelligence ex- homeland intelligence experts groups. Now, why would human rights and civil liberties advocates be joining a homeland intelligence expert group? I'm just a mom in Indiana, though. Who knows why I should ever ask questions like this? The group will meet four times per year and will leverage the expertise of each member to provide input on INA's most complex problems and challenges, including terrorism, fentanyl, trans-border issues, and emerging technology. Again, I go back to why are human rights and civil liberties advocates involved in this program. How much will these lying, manipulative people be paid with stolen money from taxpayers? The security of the American people depends on our capacity to collect, generate, disseminate actionable intelligence to our federal, state, local, territorial, tribal, campus, and private sector partners, said Mayorkas. Like, I want you to listen to that language. The security of the American people depends on our capacity to collect, generate, and disseminate actionable intelligence. Who are you collecting it from? Just curious. I express my deep gratitude to these distinguished individuals for dedicating their exceptional expertise experience, and vision to our critical mission. I'm convinced that Mayorkas is walking through life either without a brain or he's bought and paid for by the cartels. I'm not sure which yet. It's remarkable that this group is associated with the word intelligence when they intentionally lie and normally get everything wrong. Ray Epps, a former Marine who became the target of January 6th conspiracy theory, has been charged with a misdemeanor offense in connection 
with the U.S. Capitol riot and is expected to plead guilty, according to court papers filed Tuesday. Epps, who claimed in a lawsuit filed this year that Fox News made him a scapegoat for the Capitol riot. He's charged with disorderly or disruptive conduct on restricted grounds, court records show. Epps' attorney, Edward Ungvarsky, I think that's how you say his name, said in an email that the case was filed with an anticipation that Epps would plead guilty to the charge. The judge has scheduled a plea agreement hearing for Wednesday. FBI Director Chris Wray, in an appearance before the House Judiciary Committee in July, denied having any knowledge of Epps being a secret government agent. I will say this notion that somehow the violence at the Capitol on January 6th was part of some operation orchestrated by FBI sources and agents is ludicrous, Ray told lawmakers. Hmm, not so ludicrous when that literally happened when you tried to kidnap the governor of Michigan. In an interview that aired earlier this year with CBS 60 Minutes, Epps of Arizona described being on the run after death threats forced him and his wife to sell their home. At the time of the interview, they were living in a recreational vehicle in the Rocky Mountains, according to 60 Minutes. Asked if he had any insight as to why he hadn't been charged for a crime for his role in the riot, Epps told House investigators that he was, quote, trying to stop the violence, trying to keep people from getting themselves into more trouble. Yeah, the same man yelling on camera, as soon as President Trump stops speaking, we're going to the Capitol, was trying so hard to stop violence and keep people from getting themselves into trouble. More than 1,100 people have been charged with federal crimes stemming from the January 6th riot, and authorities continue to regularly bring new cases nearly three years later. Roughly 670 defendants have pleaded guilty to charges, and of those, more than 480 pleaded guilty to misdemeanors only. I don't think anyone should be charged for being at the Capitol in any part of the Capitol. It's public property. It was open to the public on January 6th. But if charges are going to be brought, they should be brought equally and fairly across the board. There should be no distinction unless they truly did commit a crime. And even if barriers were broken, lecterns were commandeered, and the chambers of Congress were undignified, I don't care. I have as much respect for that branch of government and institution as it has for me at this point. The Biden administration announced Tuesday it will open applications for the first group of funding of $400 million to help states and territories take up energy-efficient building codes. A senior administration official told reporters Monday that under the codes, new buildings and major renovations would be done with better construction and in a way that is more efficient and resilient. The Energy Department said in a press release announcing the funding that homes built using modern energy codes are 40% more efficient than homes built 15 years ago. Quote, thanks to President Biden's investing in America agenda, 
This funding will ensure that states and local communities have the tools necessary to lead the way in increasing the performance and overall health of buildings through energy codes. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm said in the press release, the funding comes from the Inflation Reduction Act. The jokes write themselves at this point. It is a portion of $1 billion that the Climate, Tax, and Healthcare Law provides to help state and local governments take up building energy codes. Well, let's just be clear about this for a moment. Building codes are laws that set minimum requirements for how structural systems like plumbing, heating, etc., of residential and commercial buildings should be designed and constructed. So, with that knowledge in your head, I'm going to repeat this to you. The Biden administration is opening applications for $400 million of funding to help states and territories take up energy efficient building codes. You can't make this shit up anymore. They just want to spend our money on the dumbest bullshit. Building codes, $400 million. Just write the code. Why does that cost any money? Despite rising energy prices, the White House is proposing to block future drilling and mining on thousands of acres in northern New Mexico. Biden's Department of Interior claimed that in an attempt to protect Native American lands, the proposal would ban oil and gas development as well as new mining claims in over 4,200 acres in Sandoval County, New Mexico. The restrictions would remain in place for 50 years. Interior Secretary Deb Holland said in a statement, quote, Today we're responding to calls from tribes, elected leaders, and community members who want to see these public lands protected. We look forward to hearing more from the public to inform decisions about how activities like gravel mining may impact these lands, including the important cultural and natural resources. The Bureau of Land Management said that the actions were designed to protect, preserve, and promote the scenic integrity, cultural importance, recreational values, and wildlife habitat connectivity in the area. Halland, while serving in Congress as the vice chair of the House of Natural Resources Committee, introduced the Buffalo Tract Protection Act in 2019, which would have put in place the bans. Senator Martin Heinrich and Rep. Melanie Stansberry reintroduced the legislation earlier this year. The pair has also repeatedly called on the DOI to take action blocking mineral development in Sandoval County. In August, the Congressional Budget Office published a report on the Buffalo Tract Protection Act, which stated that the area impacted by the mineral ban has a high potential for sand and gravel extraction, which are essential for infrastructure projects like roads, but low potential for other materials. Minerals, I apologize. Earlier this month, President Joe Biden boasted of canceling all remaining oil and gas leases issued under the Trump administration in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. And there you have it. This is not about what is best for the citizens of this country. It's about how much they can erase Donald Trump's presidency. 
Can they make it as if he never existed while simultaneously running this country into the ground, meaning six feet under? We're going to find out. That is your Wednesday edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. We will be doing book club this evening at 10.15 Eastern Standard Time, uh, covering the next 10 chapters of Mongol Moon, which is a great book, by the way. If you haven't read it, I highly encourage you to pick it up. And with that being said, if you want to join us, you're more than welcome to on Twitter Spaces. Otherwise, I will see you guys on Friday morning. You guys take care. Have a wonderful day. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.